Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. As always, happy you have chosen to join me this week as we talk about what's happening in the world of safety in the past week. Really trying to keep up with what is happening. How are we changing? What what are we seeing out there as safety professionals that is changing the way we do our jobs every day? And of course, the biggest thing that continues to really change our landscape is COVID-19. And I find that it's it had that really fast start to it and things were moving very quickly and now a lot of things are catching up i really think of this whole covid-19 response from a safety standpoint it's almost like stretching a rubber band and then releasing it you grab it with one hand you stretch it and then you let go and then it finally catches up with the other hand and sometimes there's a little bit of pain when it catches up and i think we're seeing some of that pain now as far as what we are doing and how we're responding to COVID-19, because we're learning and we're still adapting to that. And so I think one of the, the articles, one of the items that's very interesting is that, so OSHA's finally digging out of the the massive amount of, of information that they've been called on and told to investigate, and especially you see toward California and Nevada out there, there's like tons of fines coming out and they're really, really active. And whether it be something they're, they're showing that concerted effort or whatever is happening, they are out there and you're seeing a lot of information coming from that area. But what's interesting is federal OSHA, there was an article that was published looking at some information from kind of the early fall and it was uh, only 2% of the reports of retaliation. So whistleblower claims uh, have been investigated or resolved. And so we're going to see that is going to be one of those rubber bands that is eventually going to snap where the, the, the end of it is going to be let go and it is going to catch up to where we are today and that is going to create um, some little bit of pain, I expect, because I'm sure there's a lot of claims out there. You know, there are um, there are a lot of claims out there looking at, um, from a federal standpoint, almost over 1,700 
complaints of whistleblowers. So it was a while back than years ago that OSHA was really tasked with handling whistleblower issues. And with that came a ton of work on their standpoint to understand it, to see if it really was a whistleblower retaliation, that if someone brought up a legitimate issue and then was fired or let go or removed from position because of that complaint. And so you you have it two ways, and that's the hard part, is that you have those that legitimately use the system, the ones that raised their hands, the ones that called OSHA, the ones that went to their, that did everything they should have done to protect themselves and finally couldn't find a way of doing it, called the labor department and made a report, and then the company legitimately looks at them and goes, you're out of here. No one does that to us, and fires them. And then on the other side of it, you have those that maybe lost their jobs for other reasons, maybe were on the fence anyway for not doing a great job, and then they claim that, well, it was because I was complaining about safety issues, or it was because of my whistleblower claim. And that takes time away from OSHA, from the legitimate ones. Now, there's always a mix. I'm not going to debate good, bad, and different. It's all out there. As a safety professional, you see it both ways. You, you see those times where you go, yeah, that was real, um, and, and it was true. And you see sometimes from safety professionals, um, I've been in the field and met some people who have, who've had jobs that they walked away from after making that complaint because it was such a such a non-progressive, such a backwards organization. So I've met those, I've talked to them, and that's a tough place to be in. It's draining morally, it's draining ethically, and it weighs on you as a safety professional because we do have a very high code of ethics, and that's something I have seen within our organization when I go out and meet people, and I'm always amazed Um with the level of ethics that I've seen and, and met of my peers and colleagues, because we do take it seriously. We understand something that, um, that there is, take it this with a grain of salt, but we are working on that line of life and death. We are trying to advocate. We are trying to get out there and help educate to help prevent harm to people. And that's our, that's our passion. When you really get into the field, and I remember when I was first starting, and I had a couple of paths ahead of me that I could have taken in my career, um, I was very fortunate and unfortunate at the same time to kind of have that path. Um, but I remember starting my very first job out of college. I was unemployed for quite a while, like six months. I graduated college, couldn't uh, couldn't find a job. The market had kind of dried up, and... I mean, I was applying anywhere, and it was like, well, you're overqualified or you're underqualified. My favorite one, <laughs> my very favorite excuse of why I didn't get a job, and I was more truly looking for anything, was I went to a fast food, a pretty prominent fast food restaurant, and they asked me if I had experience at that particular chain. I was like, no, but man, I'm, I'm learning. I'm married. I uh, want to work hard. I'll work any shift, whatever you need. And they're like, well, we were really looking for someone with our experience. And I was like, wow, this market is tough. And I was very fortunate. I was able to get a job working um, 
working for a lab manager because my my background in chemistry, working for a safety manager, uh, which was my minor, and then working for a quality manager, and I was assisting them. I was I was through a temporary agency and I was there permanently, but hired that way to assist them and really developed um, enjoyed it a lot. There was a lot of work there, a lot of I did my best to try to learn from all of them the best I could, but was really impressed with the level of dedication, the level of, I guess, caring that came from an ethical standard out of safety. And I think that's what weighed on me when I wanted to take my first safety job is when I finally took a full-time safety position was thinking about, okay, am I, is this what I want to do? Am I ready for this type of commitment? Because it's a big deal to think about, well, do I act? Do I not act? How do I act? How do I... How do I handle this to make it seem that we're handling the risk appropriately? And how do you measure that risk appropriately? So, man, that was a long story. But anyway, um, it was really got me passionate about what we do as safety professionals. And then as I meet more and more safety professionals, certainly not this year because of COVID, but in previous years at conferences and, and other places, just the level of of standard that we want to set as a profession. And so to see this, that this is going to catch up with us. Um, OSHA will eventually dig out of these whistleblower claims. We, um, we will see the, how that plays. And I think I'm most interested in seeing how, like what companies are the ones that really didn't take this seriously and were not treating their people the way they should be treated. And so, that is something I think that will be very, very interesting to see how that goes. What organizations are those that didn't allow whistleblowers to talk about what was happening? And I think as they get to the end of this, I think we'll see some very prominent names potentially come out of that because um, there's always those. And sometimes just because it's a big name company doesn't mean that they don't have some issues at certain locations or certain people. So, We'll see where that goes. And of course, a lot of it will be still just because we just because there's an initial fine doesn't mean it's true either. <laughs> Sometimes there's just the issuance of where OSHA just wants to, to make sure there's a fine there. And that's a whole different story. And I've, I've had that on both sides of it. That's what's amazing to me is that within the same organization, you can have that that double standard. Almost you have those that come in that really look at, hey, you're trying You've got really good programs. You're trying to adapt. You're working. You're doing the things that should be done. And then you have the one that comes in that absolutely their goal, is, the feather in their hat is how many citations they can hit. No matter how many, whatever it takes, we got to get citations. And so they just throw them at you. And there's a blend there. there there's somewhere in between where it should be between that education enforcement and understanding the maturity of a safety system. And if there's truly a failure there, yeah, that's what we're, Hey, sometimes you take one, but then there's those that you go, okay, really? Are you really sure on that? So anyway, we, we will see this change. We will see this continue to evolve, but that was the big item from a COVID-19 standpoint this past week that I saw and was really interested in is seeing how we will eventually, uh, they were way behind in investigating COVID claims. Now they're behind in doing the whistleblower claims. They will catch up. 
and catching up quicker than I thought. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see how that goes. More podcast in just a minute. TSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com And welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Again, so happy you're with me this week as we talk through health and safety, how that creates leadership, how things are changing in our world as the world continues to change around us. So a few different articles came across for the second half. The first one was that there was uh, an annual death on the job report that came out. And it kind of looks at just the overall themes that are out there between um, safety and and how that's affects um, fatalities on the job. A very sombering number because that's the number that, I mean, first and foremost, we, we don't want harm as safety professionals. Most of all, we don't want death. It unfortunately still happens. And there's a lot of variables that go into it. And it's a very, very complex subject, not to underplay it in no means, because the complexity of health and safety in general is is interesting, um, because it is very much a people-based science. We want to do our very best to engineer. Even with engineering, you, you have to have training. Even with that, there's still choices that can be made. There's still so much that we can do. And it's, it's, the variables are immense and always changing. So it's, um, it's a very dynamic process and it's always evolving and always changing. And if you think about like, when you compare it to other metrics, I mean, financials have been financials for a lot of years in the way they report quality and delivery. It's all still very similar, but think about the dynamic between let's even go back 10 years of those that were in the workplace 10, 20 years ago to who is in the workplace now. Now I'm not making a statement of good or bad here. That is not at all what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is that it has changed. <laughs> there is uh, quite a bit of difference in how we are looking at safety and how the safety process is adapted to it. So when you think about that difference in workers, how have you had to change your approach 
You've had to change your approach. What worked to motivate and to create safety 20 years ago is different from a behavioral, from from motivational standpoint of understanding why. Very different than what it is now. Engineering has updated. I mean, there's some pretty neat PPE out there. There's some pretty neat engineering. Even looking at some of the new bollards out there that are um, more impact resistant, that, that don't dent, that can actually absorb a hit of a fork truck. We've got some pretty neat engineering out there now. But when with the biggest change that I always see is how we're out there motivating people and how we do that differently now than what we did 10 years ago or what worked 20 years ago. And how do we keep that? In 10 years, it will be different again. How do we keep doing that on a that, that's this changing landscape? But anyway, I've digressed there. We'll talk about that in a whole nother episode of, of motivating through the generations. I promise we'll, we'll talk about that one. But this one here is really focusing on, okay, and they're looking at, and I actually put in here some COVID-19 stats that um, they suspect there could be somewhere anywhere, somewhere between 175,000, um, 868 deaths from COVID potentially that could be somewhat work-related, truly work-related. Again, that's going to be sorted out, but the numbers are staggering uh, to what it sees. One of the interesting ones, though, that I wanted to point out was that workplace violence, 828 deaths, and that included 450 homicides. So half of those were deliberate acts of violence against someone. And so there have been times in my career that I've wore an extra letter in my title, whether it be EHS or just safety or whatever it may be. But sometimes we get the extra S of security added to our list of things we're already doing. And if you have that, that's always something that that weighs on your mind. How do we prevent that type of violence? How do you protect people even as they come in and out of the building if they're still in the parking lot? How do we protect them from violence that could be out there that even if it's deliberate, someone knows that that person is at work that day? How do we handle that? How do we handle that two people come in in really bad moods and they come squaring off to each other in the middle of the workplace? Maybe it's one of those where they've got to hand a box to each other and one person didn't hand that box to the other the right way and suddenly you have a fight on your hands. How are you prepared for that? How are you prepared for those types of items? How are you securing it? How are you making sure that once someone has unfortunately been terminated, they can't come back in? It's something we have to think about. It's one of those, such an understated process of what we do as professionals. We have a huge list of tasks, and they only seem important when they go wrong. That's when they really look to us, is when it goes wrong. They're like, well, where's that EHSS guy? What was he doing? He's probably out there trying to make sure that the machine guarding was okay. And so that, of course, goes into staffing. How do we staff correctly? How do we get people the right way? But nonetheless, something to think about there. That one staggered me a little bit to look at um, how much workplace violence is still out there. Because it's a real item that sometimes we forget about. Because usually we think about human resources and maybe you do have a security manager being on site. Hopefully you do. Um, They can help with those items 
and we we kind of set that aside, but it's still very much a safety issue too, as we have to report on it and we have to be a part of that. Um, and a lot of places sometimes keep that apart when there at least should be some some integration to a little bit, maybe at least knowledge of such things happening. And how do we prevent that? And a lot of it again, and so I kind of preamble to the same way that we created behaviors 20 years ago to prevent workplace violence is not the same approach that we can take now. The engineering solutions are still the same. You, you make sure they're out of the building, you make sure it's locked, you make sure you communicate. But how do we motivate it? How do we de-escalate? Now, how do we de-escalate between multiple generations? That's a huge thing, too, because a lot of the times this escalates because of a lack of understanding. You have one group going, hey, that's an old way of doing it. There's a better way of doing it. You got another group who's saying, hey, you're lazy. You just need to work harder. And then they come together face-to-face, and things just are not right. And that's where you have to have those advocates. And I love a safety committee for this reason. Because you can find people of very diverse backgrounds. You can bring them together and you can help them brainstorm what will work. So you put someone who is from that generation 20 years ago. You put someone of the newer generation in there. You put people of different backgrounds, of different ideas, of different, all different aspects of your your company, of your site. You bring them together and you go, here's our problem. Here's what we want to solve. What will work? And you let them brainstorm. And you let them throw ideas at you. And then you let them turn around and go, well, you know, that might not work because in my background, that would bother me a little bit. Or that wouldn't work for me. Okay, well, let's. how can we fix that? So think about how you can use your safety committee. You don't give them names, dates, specifics of, of anything like that. But you give them the big problem. Let them engage. Let them be a part of it. And I think that's powerful. And that's why I think that I feel that that's where a safety committee can be so powerful, especially and only if you truly have a great amount of inclusion and diversity as part of your safety committee. It should really speak to what your organization looks like. That way you're actually solving it. And then you have those advocates that are going out there and talking to their peers and selling that. So the final article I came across was actually one that the, the the headline made me chuckle. And so I couldn't help but talk about it. This came from my home furnishings organization. And evidently, they're starting to reopen across the nation. And so they wanted to, uh, they published an article about safety and how, hey, you still got to do things. Just because you're able to reopen, you still have to make sure that you're doing it safely. So you're going to make sure that you're protecting your your people, your customers from COVID. But the, uh, the, the title of the article was safety still matters in your store. <laughs> it does. Since when? Of course, safety still matters. It doesn't matter if it was COVID or if it was material handling, if it was safety data sheets and has if it was machine guarding, if it's reporting, Safety still matters. We Just because COVID showed up doesn't mean we threw the rest of the safety regulations out the window, torched and burned them, don't need them anymore. We got COVID. And just because you're able to reopen doesn't mean you still don't have standards. You've got even more standards now. You've got even more that you need to worry about from a general duty standpoint. 
And so anyway, I, the article is actually very good. At, at the end of the day, they're really trying to help their organizations be prepared for reopening and doing it safely. But what I found hilarious was that uh, safety still matters. Oh, yeah, it does. I hope it does. I've banked my whole career on the fact that it does. Uh, So anyway, as we wrap up this last bit of this uh, podcast, so Halloween is approaching, and I don't know if you're going to be able to trick-or-treat or not. I do have younger kids. We're monitoring that. I have no idea what we're doing. But it's such a great year for it. It's going to be on a Saturday. Full moon. It's going to be, man. But if you do have uh, little ghouls and goblins and maybe little superheroes that are going to go out and trick-or-treat, a few things to remember. Have a flashlight or a glow stick with them. Even though it can ruin a spooky costume, you still want to be able to be seen. Maybe a little bit of bright color somewhere or reflect of something just to make sure they're seen. Uh, of course, carry the hand sanitizer this year because I don't know who's handing out candy. I don't know how that's going to work, but before they start eating, you definitely want to make sure they're cleaned up a little bit. And whether it be with crowds, whether it be masking, however it works for your area, stay safe out there while you're trick-or-treating. And so until next time, we chat. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast.